So could you feel the tension there a little bit? It's really interesting to think about the desire that all of us have to have a quiet center, uh, to have something that's beautiful, to have peace, to have something that's sure that we can depend on. And yet in this world, it's true. There's just a ton of stuff that's constantly going on outside of us, but we also have a lot of stuff that's going on inside of us. And um, it's hard. I think it's hard when you're human to remain, to stay strong, to not be moved. It's hard to hold fast and to persevere when everything around you is shaking <laughs> and everything inside of you is, is shaking. And um, so we just finished a series talking about the Holy Spirit last week, talking about how God's presence in reality is with us through his spirit. And we're going to start a new series next week. But I, I asked um, if I could just do a standalone message for today. And, and that is because I just have had something that's been on my heart for a long time. And I've just desired to have a Sunday to be able to share it with you guys. And that is... Um, that we're going to talk about an anchor for our soul. So when everything else is shifting and changing and wacky and crazy, when our own self is like that, is there something that can hold us firm in the middle of it? So I, I share with you guys um, when I was here a few weeks ago that uh, last month we, my family went to North Carolina for my niece's wedding. And it was right on the beach. And so for fun, we all got to go out there and, uh, and just swim, which was awesome. Especially when it was 98 degrees and 98% humidity. Can I just say that I found the refreshing water of the ocean. I, had, I hadn't spent that much time in the ocean since I was a kid, man. Just playing and playing and playing and getting burned and burned and burned. I was like a lobster by the end of the time. But the second day was really fun. All of the kids went out into the ocean near the pier. And they were just swimming. The water was a little rougher that day. And uh, so I just was standing on the beach talking with my brother and my sister-in-law. And you guys know what happened, right? We start down here, and they're all swimming and just having a blast. And without paying any attention, next thing I know, they're where? They're like down here. And we're like, okay. So we, we walked down. And literally, we could have just kept walking and walking and walking with them. They had no concept at all, but without even knowing it, they had completely drifted way far away from where we started. Y'all experienced that? So we grabbed them, right? And we said, come on out. And we went back to where we originally started. Now, I'm from Michigan. And when you fish in Michigan, you fish in lakes. So I hadn't fished in a river, I don't think, until I moved to Utah. And when you fish in a lake in Michigan, you hop in a little rowboat, right? And you go out to this lake and you got your little bobber on the thing and you find a perfect spot where you think the fish are going to be. You throw your line out there and, and you're sitting out there and you're fishing. And before you know it, the boat has drifted. So you grab the oars and you bring yourself back to the sweet spot because this is where you really want to be. Now, Obviously, we need one thing in that boat so we can stay in the sweet spot, which is a what? Anchor. we got to have an anchor. And so what's interesting is that the Bible says that we actually need an anchor for our soul if we're going to stay in the sweet spot. Because there's stuff all around us. Everything changes. Our emotions change, don't they? You guys know that? So sometimes you feel close to God and sometimes you don't 
That is always going to change. Our circumstances change. You're healthy in one moment. You're not healthy the next. You have a job. You lose your job. Sometimes you're on your game and you have a great day. The next day you totally blow it. Even your own abilities change. The people around us change. Our culture changes. Our government changes. And even our faithfulness changes. You guys all right? Like even my ability, as much as I might want to stay close to God, sometimes I do a good job of that and sometimes I don't. So here's a question for you and me this morning. When everything around you changes, does your faith change too? Because sometimes I feel like faith can be like a fad. Here's a definition of fad. It's an intense, widely believed enthusiasm for something, especially one that is short-lived and without basis in the object's qualities. Did you guys catch that last part? A fad is, man, I'm just so excited about it for a short time, but it's not based in the object's qualities. So, I, and I don't know, man, we all know fads. To me, fashion is a fad, right? I can't keep up. Anybody else? Can, can You cannot keep up with fashion. I, I go to this conference every year called Q, and the reason I think I go is to find out how out of fashion I actually am. <laughs> Like, everybody there looks different than me. In fact, my wife, Susie, and I, about a month ago, we were walking around the neighborhood, and we went into this coffee shop late at night, and it was packed, and everybody in there, you know, was really cool. We walked out, and she goes, man, did you see everybody, how they were dressed in there? I'm a guy, so I said, no. <laughs> and she goes, if you notice, she goes, everybody in there, none of their clothes matched. So apparently, that's the cool thing. So guys, we should be good, right? <laughs> Plaid shorts and striped shirts and colors. She just goes, everybody in there, nothing they wore matched. That's the new fad. But what about our faith? Here's, here's why I wanted to do this series. Is I realize that there's many people I know who at some point have had a really sincere, exciting devotion to Jesus. And then when things around them changed... When circumstances got bad, or when they started not feeling him, then all of a sudden, they started drifting. And next thing you know, and all of us have done this, but we drift so far away, the next thing you know, we're like, we are so far from where we used to be. And I think we need an anchor for our soul so that our faith isn't a fad. And so that it's something that can, that we're, where we actually are, and that's what we're going to do today, is look at the qualities of the object that we want to be committed to. So here's your questions for you this morning. What do you trust? Really? What's your trust in? What's your hope in? What are you banking your life on? And what do you actually believe? Because at the core of this is truly going to affect your entire life. So I've had this little phrase that's been with me for about a year, and I've been waiting to say it, and today's the day. And here's what I want to encourage all of us in today. Don't, here's the question, do your circumstances define God, or does God define your circumstances? And here's what I know. Sometimes for us, 
When somebody, you know, you get a job, because here's what Christians do, right? Somebody, all of a sudden, you find a job, and what do we do? Praise God, because God provided me with this job. And then when we lose our job, what do we do? Does God even love me? So here's the question. Does he change? When your circumstances change. Does he change when your emotions change? Do your circumstances define God? And here's what I know. The answer is, if we can all be honest, yes. We all let what's changing around us or inside of us actually affect what we believe about God. So we got to go a little bit deeper than that today, and that's my hope. So my hope is if you're here today and you're checking out Christianity, that maybe, you'd, you'd, um, maybe for your life you feel like everything I put my hope in eventually shifts. It changes, and you're looking for something that you know can be really secure. A big part of my hope for today is a lot of you in this room, you do believe. You are. You're like the guy who said, I believe, help my unbelief. You do believe, but right now, your world around you is shaking, and so your faith is shaken. Right now, you're not sure if God loves you. You're not sure if he's there, and you need an anchor, something that'll hold you secure. And for all of you in here who are doing great, then maybe today you'll gain some stuff where you know somebody who's really struggling, and you'll be able to take them out for coffee and sit them down and go, hey, can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you today? That's what today's for. This very scripture we're going to look at is God wants to encourage every single one of us in this room. There is something that never changes. You can have an anchor for your soul. All right? So before we dive in, let's pray. Father, um, I ask right now that you would make your word come alive. I pray, you again, because you know everyone in here, and I ask that as we look at what you're going to tell us today, that you would use it to teach us, to correct our wrong thinking, to train us up so that we can be rooted and established in a world that is so shaky. And I ask God that you might do that today, and I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. That's kind of the main passage. So if you uh, have downloaded our app, you can refresh it this morning, and all the scripture and the points will be right there on your app, or you can open up your Bibles, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 6. Now, um, let me just tell you, the book of Hebrews, very, very interesting book. If you're new to Christianity or new to reading the Bible, you probably will need some help because in Hebrews, it talks a lot about the Old Testament and how Jesus has fulfilled that and uh, the Old Testament. But the purpose for writing Hebrews, the book, is because people's faith was being shaken. They were wavering. They were beginning to doubt. They were starting to abandon what at one point they said they really believed. And they were wandering, drifting away from the faith. So this book was written to encourage to not let go, right? To hold, as we'll see, unswervingly to this hope. So here we are, Hebrews chapter 6, starting with verse 16. It says, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms... What is said, and it puts an end to all argument. So basically, can't get into all the cultural ramifications of this, but you make an oath to someone who's greater than you, then there's no more arguing if it's going to happen. No, the oath says it will happen. 
Verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. What did he promise? It says God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. All right, let's unpack this thing. But do you see it already? God says there's some things that don't change. There's an unchangeable nature to my, to my purpose, and there's a hope that you can absolutely be secure in. So there's three anchors we're going to look at here today, all right? Here's the first one. Is hope in the anchor of Christ. Hope in the anchor of Christ. Hebrews 13.8 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He doesn't change. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And I'm going to tell you, this was so interesting. As I was studying this, uh, what I do lots of times is I have this whole running list of potential series that we may do here at K2 whenever something comes to my mind. In studying this week, I had no idea how many times the word promises come up. God is promising stuff all the time. And in the Old Testament, there's a whole lot of promises. And here's what he's saying is, every promise that I have ever given to you, they are all yes absolutely done and completely fulfilled in Christ. So last week uh, we ended this series and we were in the book of John and we were talking about how Jesus was teaching about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. Um, John is actually uh, one of the few books where the author point blank tells you why he wrote the book. Okay. And in chapter 20, verse 30, he says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So here's John. Here's a guy who lived with Jesus for three years. And he's saying, listen, I am absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So I'm going to write this book so that you can know. And everything I'm going to share with you is so that you can know that this wasn't a normal human being. This was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And you can believe in him. And when you do, you're going to find life. Now, what's interesting is, so then, and I'm actually doing the book of John for my own quiet personal time with God right now. And it's crazy because all the time through this book, Jesus is trying to help the religious people understand who he is. He wants them to believe so they can have life. So in John chapter 10, he says this. It says, the Jews gathered around him and they said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, then just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I did. <laughs> I mean, he, he just goes, I can't tell you how many times I've told you. 
He goes, I told you and you don't believe. Then he says this, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe. You go down a few verses later and it says the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered him and he said, I've shown you many good works from the father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a mere man, make yourself to be God. Did you guys hear that? See, their whole struggle, and many people today will say, Jesus never said that he was God. No, the Jewish people are saying, the reason we want to kill you is because you keep claiming to be God. And so, is Jesus just a normal human being, or is he truly God. So one thing we can know is his claim was what he was testifying about himself was clearly, I am the son of God. So you need to know that he's different than every other human being. Then you go down a few verses later and here's what Jesus said to him. He goes, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) I'm not trying to pull wool over your eyes. If I'm not doing what God does, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. You guys, this is really important, okay? Do you have an anchor for your soul? Is Jesus Christ, and and this is a huge question for all of us today, Is Jesus who he said he is? Is he really God? Because if he is, then that changes everything. No longer do circumstances define who God is. I can now let Jesus tell me how to define my circumstances. If that's who he really is. So he says, hey, if you don't trust what I'm saying to you, if you don't believe my testimony, then believe what I'm doing. Well, what was he doing? I mean, he was healing everybody, right? He was healing every disease. Right before this, he had just healed a blind guy who had been blind since birth, and they didn't know what to do with that. Jesus, another work of his, is he had absolute command and authority over the spiritual world. Jesus could make one commandment, and spiritual entities, demons, would flee and leave people, and people were completely delivered. So that's what God can do. Nobody else can do that. And so Jesus was saying, do you see this? Do you see me? Did you see me? That big, huge storm that was going on? And I said one word, and I have authority over nature. It stopped. Anybody else want to try that one? I fed 5,000 with a few fish and some loaves of bread. Who have you seen do that? And I would say the greatest work to me about Jesus, when he said, believe my works, is when they wanted to put him on trial at the end of his life, They couldn't find one thing that he had ever done wrong. Okay? How many of the rest of you would love to stand up and say, I'm on trial for my morality? Every single person you know, you could find something that day that they've done wrong. And yet his works were so pure and so perfect. Jesus said, listen, if you don't believe what I'm saying, and I can't be more clear, then believe what I do. And here's what's crazy. They wouldn't believe him. So you get to chapter 11. It's the next chapter. 
And it says that they came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And so his disciples said, well, man, why is he sick? What, what, did something happen? What's wrong? And Jesus said, no, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So you guys know, you heard this name, Lazarus? This is chapter 11 in John. Fascinating chapter. So here's what happens. They come to Jesus and they say, the one you love is going to die. And Jesus said, no, this illness isn't going to lead to death. This happened so that the Son of God may be glorified, so that people will actually believe that I am who I say I am. So, the one he loves is really sick, and so what's Jesus do? Let's hang out for a little while. He lets him suffer and die. He waits days, and then he finally shows up. And both Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, come up to Jesus, and they go, if you were here, Lazarus would have never died. Now think about this. That means they had faith, didn't they? They had seen Jesus heal people. So they knew if you had been here, you would have healed our brother. And it's like Jesus said, I know. I know that you know I can heal people. What you don't know is I can raise people from the dead. So he starts going to the tomb, and Mary goes, you can't go in there. He's been in there for four days. Think about this, guys. The guy's been dead four days. She goes, it will stink nastily. And Jesus rolls away the rock, commands with one verse, and a dead man comes alive. Is that not awesome? Yes. See, look at us. We're all like, oh, okay. <laughs> I know it's hard to get in the story. But because of that, many people put their faith in him. And yet those religious leaders still wouldn't believe. Come on, you guys. Who else can take a person who's been dead for four days and then bring them back to life. And then to top it all off, Jesus is going, okay, if that didn't work, I'll just do it myself, right? I'll die, and I'll come back to life, and I'll rise up right in front of you. You guys, this is Jesus. Now think about this. He is not normal. And so, when your circumstances change, so right, so you get your job, and you're like, praise Jesus. When you lose your job, and now it doesn't feel like he's good, just because you lost your job, does that mean Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead? No. But yet, we feel like he's shifted and he's changed. When, you, when he heals somebody, right? In fact, I was talking to somebody two days ago, and we were sharing about someone we know who had stage four cancer, who's now alive and well and kicking it. And so what do we do? Praise God! And yet, years ago, our own Paula Winter got stage four cancer and died. So, was God worthy of our praise one day? And then, when he didn't heal Paula, does that mean all of a sudden, he's not God? And yet, people's faith will be totally shaken because somebody got sick and somebody else was well because somebody got a job and somebody didn't get a job. Because, and, and this happens all the time. For you who are, how many feelers we got in the room? Okay, you, you, come on, I'm a feeler, be bold, right? You're all like, I don't want to admit that. <laughs> so, so what happens is, some of you in this room, 
you feel him. And because you feel him, he's there. And you trust him. And then, and I've talked to you, some of you go, I just don't sense him anymore. Okay, because your emotions left, does that mean Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead? Does that mean that he's not the one who can command authority over demonic forces, over nature, and over people? No, and yet we will let our circumstances, which aren't good or our own internal experience, define Jesus. And I want to tell you, man, when John wrote this book, after he wrote this, the disciples, they were beaten, they were persecuted, they were hated. I mean, if anybody was like, man, I accepted Jesus, and it got, like, nasty. I'm not going to believe in him anymore. Is that what happened? No. Why did he believe? Because he saw a perfectly righteous, powerful, authoritative, godly, loving man rise from the dead. And I want to tell you, what's your hope in today? And here's what I know. All of us in this room, we are human, and so our faith drifts when our experiences with God or in life aren't what we want them to be. We start doubting, is, we start doubting God. Is he good? Is he just? Is he right? Is he all-powerful? Is he true? See, these are things that are based in the nature, right? Go back to the fad. Are you in the, do you put your faith in the quality of the object? A fad doesn't do that. A fad goes, I feel good now, I don't feel good now, and I change. And I just want to encourage you today, who are you going to listen to? Who holds the final say on, this is important, on your reality. Is it your heart? Isn't that what we say? Follow your own heart. Oh man, if you do, that's going to be a journey, isn't it? But that's what we're told. Is your heart, is your emotion, is your spiritual experience your final authority on who Jesus is? If it is, you're in trouble. Is it your friend? Is it your counselor? Is it your politician? I'm telling you, everybody around us has an opinion, and you need to go deeper than that. And what the Bible tells us is you can have an anchor for your soul. It's the person of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, Son of God, eternal King of Kings. That's what you need to know. All right? So don't let your circumstances define God. Let God define your circumstances. Number two, you need hope in the anchor of God's salvation. You need hope in the anchor of his salvation. If we can put that back up, I'm sorry, to Hebrews 6, verse 17. The writer said, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So what is his purpose? So the first thing you need to understand is God wants you to know he has a purpose and there is an unchanging nature to it. Everything else will change. You're going to change, but his purpose doesn't change. Verse 18, and God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of this hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. God, I hope that happens for you today. I pray you'd be greatly encouraged because we who have this hope have it as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. So here's, the, here's what we're talking about here. His purpose, which is unchanging, is our hope. Our hope is God's purpose. So then you go, okay, what was God's purpose? What he's talking about here is God's purpose was through Jesus Christ to bring back every human being into relationship with himself. Every human is filled with this thing called sin that makes us not walk with God. And God sent Jesus to save us from our sin, to forgive us of everything that we've ever done wrong so that you can be reconciled back to God. His purpose was for you and him to be one with each other forever. This is God's purpose in Christ. That you and I should never spend another waking moment apart from God. And that we should have that absolute certainty that all of our sins are forgiven. That's part of salvation. And that he is in us and with us. And I want to tell you, man, that changes everything. Look at these verses. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. Isn't that a great picture? You know, swerve, right? Everybody swerve around? And God's like, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? Because you're an awesome guy. Is that what it says? No. It's because God is faithful. He's faithful. 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. That means right now, when the world is falling apart, when your relationships aren't making it, when somebody that you love leaves you, when your health abandons you, when you lose your job, When all of these things take place, the Bible says you can have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which means Jesus is alive and with you now. 2 Corinthians 1.22, it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. You guys, there's two huge things here for us. For some of you in this room, you are blowing it. You can't do it. You can't be the person you want to be. You can't be the father you want to be. You do stuff you don't want to do and you sin. And so your relationship with God is shaky. Some of you are feeling today like he doesn't love you because you can't live up to the standard that you want to live at. And I want to tell you, as your pastor, after 30 years of walking with God, I can still get to the point where I doubt that I have God's favor because of my own life. How much is the anchor for my soul in my salvation based on how good I am as a person? If it is... That's a bad anchor. That's a bobber. That ain't an anchor. 
That's something that floats and moves all around. That's you. Do you guys notice what these verses said? You have hope because God is faithful. God is the one who has given us new birth into a living hope. And look at this. Let's put up 2 Corinthians again. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. You don't stand firm in Christ because of what you've done. God makes you stand firm in Christ because of what Jesus has done. See, the anchor is Christ and his work on the cross, not on yours. It is God who anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. God says, as soon as you put your faith in Christ, he goes, you are mine. And he seals you. And what's he seal you with? He puts his spirit into our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I'm telling you, man, this is when life changes. This is why this message matters. When everything around you is shaking, when all those circumstances I said a million times happen to you, do you know God is with you? Do you know that? That's the assurance of salvation. Not just that my sins are forgiven, but that he has anointed me and put his Holy Spirit inside of me, as we talked about three weeks ago, that I am a new creation, and there's not a second I go through everything on this planet with God. And he's for me, and he's not against me. And I'm telling you, that's an anchor. And there is no other thing on this planet that will be an anchor like that. You know it. Your feelings won't be that. The government won't be that. Your best friend won't be that. Your spouse won't be that. The church won't be that. There's only one anchor, and it's Jesus Christ and his salvation. Okay, number three, last one. Where'd I go? There it is. Number three is hope in the anchor of eternity. He put his Holy Spirit inside of us, guaranteeing what is to come. This is huge. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says this. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Isn't that interesting? Christians, you guys who are Christians in here, is your whole hope that Jesus is going to make this life great for you? Now, is he going to be with us in this life? Absolutely. And that's our living hope. But if all you have is that in this life, Jesus is going to make it rocking for you, you're supposed to be pitied more than anybody else. The greatest hope that you and I have as Christians is that when Christ rose from the dead at the end of the verse of Hebrews 6, it says that he went into, he was resurrected and he went into the Holy of Holies and he's there. Remember what Jesus said? If I leave, I go to prepare a place for you so that you can be where I am. The greatest hope we have, did y'all know you're going to die? Y'all know that, right? See, that's a certainty, isn't it? What do you know after that? Do you have the absolute hope that there's an eternal life with God? So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, right now, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But look at this. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That is awesome. So that's why Jesus kept telling us, you guys don't put your treasure in this world. Put your treasure in heaven. Don't put your hope in stuff that can leave you in a second. Put your hope in stuff that will never last, that will never end. That, you guys keep that up there? It'll never end. There is an inheritance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. And I want to tell you, that's an anchor for you. So man, I tell you, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart. If some of you have lost heart because of what's going on around you or because you're not faithful enough in your own being, Paul says, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I want to tell you what, that's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. I was reading that verse the day my mom came home with cancer. And I'll never forget holding her while she wept, saying, I think God gave us the verse to get through the circumstances that we're going to have. And I want to tell you what, man, you guys, this makes, it really does make all the difference in the world. And you know what's crazy? Paul calls these light and momentary troubles. Three chapters earlier, he said, I don't want you to be uninformed of the troubles we're going through far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. How many of you, good percentage of you in this room, have thought about taking your life because you've despaired of it? You're in good company. The Apostle Paul felt the same thing. And yet, he called those troubles, what? Light and momentary compared to the eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You guys, what's the anchor for your soul when everything around you changes? You know, this ain't my home. I'm just passing through and someday I'm gonna be in the presence of God with him, which is perfection forever. And Jesus says, that's what you can know. I resurrected from life. I went there to prepare a place for you. When it gets tough, hang on. Do you have an anchor for your soul? Is your faith in Christ or is your faith in the circumstances? Is your faith in the work of God's salvation on your behalf? Is that an anchor for you when you can't be what you want to be? And do you have the anchor of the hope of eternity, knowing that no matter what happens around you or even inside of you, you have an inheritance kept in heaven safe for you. I'm telling you guys, I, I, I just, nothing maybe saddens me more than watching people live out Jesus' parable of the soil, where seeds get planted and some people spring up and the plant grows quickly and then the troubles of this world make it wither and die away. That doesn't have to be you. If your faith in hope is in the anchor of Christ and his salvation and eternity. Don't let your circumstances define God. Let God in the reality of Christ define 
your circumstances. So here's what we're going to do. We are going to sing and we're going to praise and we're going to worship God. Because one of the things that you have to do, like, so here's a question. Man, Dave, how do I keep this anchor down, right? How do I keep it down solid? I want to tell you, number one is I have to be in God's word all the time. I can't rely on a message hoping some dude's good for a half hour on a Sunday. That is not going to get me through this life. I, I need his word, which is alive and active, and it actually penetrates my soul. It tells me what's true daily. So you got to be in his word. And then you got to worship him. That's what we're going to do. you got to remind yourself, you are and I'm not. You are and my boss ain't. You are and the government isn't. You are, there's nothing else is. Jesus, you are. That you got to do on a regular basis. And then I'm telling you what, man, you got to hang out with other people who are fighting the same fight. If you're out there by yourself, you're toast, period. I am. I need you and you need me. We need each other. All right? So we're going to sing. So stand up. Now here's the deal. I don't care how you do this, but I'm going to tell you, engage your heart with God. Some of you, it's a new song, but I want to tell you, man, when the arts team put this one out, I said, this song was written for this Sunday. And so some of you might need to just listen to it. Let the truth of these words penetrate your mind. Let the music move those words to your soul. But I know first service, I also was going, I got, I got to sing these too, man. I just got to declare that no matter what, God is good. No matter what, God is good. All right? Let's worship him together.